I'm Heather Taylor from Simplicity 2.0's podcast. If you spent any length of time in the technology industry, you know that it's on a pendulum. First trends go one way and then another. One of these trends is centralization versus decentralization. Currently, the industry is largely on a centralization trend. And today, we're going to talk about one aspect of that, shared services. Simplicity 2.0 is brought to you by Laserfiche, the elite provider of global enterprise content management software, which manages and controls information so you can empower employees to work smarter, faster, and better. So we're joined today by Andrew Style, a manager with the Chicago-based Huron Consulting Group. Uh, hello, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. As shared services are typically thought of in the context of saving money, I wanted to ask for some recent real-world examples of this, both where it succeeded in achieving that goal and where it might not have. Sure, uh, but before I give my or dive into my response, I want to give this a little bit of context for the, those that might be uh, relatively unfamiliar with this area. Um, the private sector, as we know it, has been moving toward the idea of consolidating administrative functions within organizations since as early as the 1980s. Major organ- organizations that we all have heard of, like BP, Bristol-Myers Squibb, Ford, and GE are all operating various shared service models with success. Um, following suit, governments in the U.S., Canada, Great Britain all conducted their own implementation efforts in the late 1990s to early 2000s. NASA is a well-known pioneer in the public sector for their success in cost savings through the utilization of shared services. Their early 2000s switch to the model uh, is now realizing approximately $20 million in annual savings. Um, unfortunately, there though there are a few companies that fail to develop or build out their shared service campaigns as fully as NASA has done. Um, surveys have found that roughly one-third of all companies who have implemented shared services are not able to generate cost savings of at least 20% or greater. And I use that 20% because that's a common benchmark mark that consultants use for cost savings across the areas of finance, IT, HR, or even payroll. Um, While most of these organizations implemented shared services with cost reduction in mind, other organizations have chosen to pursue the opportunity uh, to gain other means of of efficiency beyond just cost savings. Um, So in the U.S., the higher education industry, an area I work in almost exclusively, Uh, is rapidly exploring the concept of hopes of finding an enhanced model for supporting operational and administrative processes. Um, The higher education climate is unique in that it often requires institutions to consider their institutional mission over margin when approaching an organizational change like shared services. So higher education's mission and overarching goals really mean that cost efficiency will not always determine operating decisions requiring them to realize other benefits in the process of making the business case for shared services. All right. So, you know, what are these other benefits to implementing shared services? I mean, you can see, obviously, NASA is doing good on the cost saving, which I'm sure, like, that's, they're a pretty amazing organization. But, you know, what can other people look for in terms of the benefits? I, I would honestly say that the traditional outcomes targeted by shared services initiatives remain extremely important in today's environment. You have cost reduction, as we just talked about, efficiency, capability improvements, all of which are extremely important. However, organizations are now looking to gain more than just that, uh, and they're looking to gain more value from their shared services operations. 
the ability to scale up or even or even down administrative operations in response to emerging or growing industry trends like decreased public uh, funding for higher education or mergers and acquisitions both in private and public sectors are all characteristics our clients are increasingly looking for. Um, constantly our clients are asking us similar if not the same question which is how do we do more with less? The solution to that is invest smarter, work more efficiently, provide decision support to staff. I would say the greatest benefits of shared services are typically broken down into four quadrants. The first is cost savings, which we talked about, um, which is traditionally done or generated through economies of scale, um, as well as efficiencies from standardization and the ability to leverage your institution or, or company's investments in technology. Um, the next one would be enhanced service, and that's really by shifting support or for these administrative or operational tasks to experts as opposed to generalists that you currently have in local units or departments, um, as well as constituent accountability standards, which is typically done in the shared services world via a service level agreement, which is mutually agreed upon by the constituent and then the shared service center. Uh, then human capital is something that shouldn't be uh, understated at all. It's, you know, in that effort, you're consolidating your training base for all staff, which are supporting specific functions. So you don't have to necessarily cross train or, or train across a, a vast uh, experience training base. Um, and then also a detailed career path is something that's extremely important and, and definitely an area that institutions are looking uh, at as they develop their business case for shared services. And then finally is strategic enablement, and that's providing a platform for shifting from just transactional processing uh, to more decision support type models, uh, as well as the improved use of data to measure service delivery standards post implementation of a shared service model. Great. Um, I want to kind of latch on to the, the stuff you were talking about around talent. So, you know, what is that shift of mentality, that broader transformation that has to happen around how you value talent and like what needs to take place before you attempt those shared services? That's something that is a major step and that's almost something you should start at at the beginning of your shared services journey. So human resource benefits are an area that should be explored prior to implementing a shared services organization. You should consider the total rewards package that your organization or company can potentially offer employees as it relates to other organizations or companies in your immediate vicinity. Um, in order to attract and retain top talent to your shared services center, it's a critical step, of course, you should be able to offer the same or, or better benefits than what local departments within your organization or companies in your area can offer. Um, another opportunity with this model is to is really partner with your organization's HR department to create detailed new job descriptions coupled with compensation analysis of uh, for the new shared service model so that you are making certain that you're offering a better package than what your competitors may be doing. Um, something I also want to touch on here briefly is that leadership uh, must ensure that the affected staff, meaning those not transitioning to the new shared service center, have a clear understanding of the changes associated with shared services because these initiatives can really derail when staff members don't understand the purpose of shared services initiatives or the effects that the transition will have on their jobs. Right. And how, so how do you use these um, shared services to forge a true center of excellence? So we talked about cost savings. We talked about the other benefits and the other things you have to set up. 
But if you really think about this on a strategic level, as you were talking about, how do you really make that the center of excellence, this thing that you know is a driving force forward, rather than just something else that's being implemented across the organization? Sure. Um, I would say that shared services can substantially reduce the cost of an organization's administrative functions through economies of scale, as I mentioned, and I'll probably continue to mention, but uh, also centralizing functions in low-cost regions uh, and by re-engineering, standardizing, and even autom automating uh, day-to-day business processes. However, companies are still overlooking other possibly even more valuable advantages to this operating model. Not only can they be used as a powerful tool for cost reduction, uh, they also allow for other, perhaps more qualitative improvements uh, by mandating clear and consistent service levels, uniform KPIs, key performance indicators, and higher transparency, they, they raise the quality of service and they promote professionalism among employees within the, new, within the company. Um, shared service centers also enable companies to strengthen their own internal controls and compliance and can pave the way for improvements in other areas of organizations. Uh, by several different means. If, if implemented properly, shared services can also pave the way for operational excellence in other portions of the business. Uh, they can provide existing business units with platforms for collaboration, uniform controls to increase flexibility in shifting people and resources around. Uh, one of our most recent clients uh, had, had acquired a, a local hospital and their but they can continue to note that their shared service implementation really paved the way for that expected cultural shift in bringing a whole other company on board and really allowed them to flex and be nimble in their transition. Now, I think a couple of times you've mentioned this idea of, of having um, different talent in different parts of the world. So how do you look at talent and look at Managing the, these groups across, you know, where maybe formerly country-specific functions are call, being called consolidated into regional-specific ones. How are companies managing this talent in this age of globalization? How do you like look at your talent from a broader base than just this office in this place, but as an entire entity? Sure. So globalization, as you mentioned, you know, it's really the the, the buzzword du jour use as organizations continue to distribute their work around the world. And I should preface this by saying my firm hasn't worked specifically with many organizations on a global basis, but that's not to say that we're not uh, familiar with the various shared services models used globally. I would say that today's standard is really what we call a hub and spoke model, uh, which distributes work among three tiers. The first being a low cost hub for transactional activities, and that's really the day-to-day -day back office roles that I talked about earlier. Uh, then thin regional centers for activities that need a more regional presence or a more regional flavor. Uh, and then finally, limited offshore sites to support unique local requirements, which may be tax codes, data security codes. Um, Hewlett Packard, another organization that has, has been running on a shared services model for quite some time, uh, their initial rule of thumb in their, their shared service model was that 80% of their finance and accounting transactional processes could be standardized globally, and then 15% regionally, well, 5% required that, that local flavor that, that I talked about. Mm -hmm. And then after moving to a, a true, what we call a true global delivery model, the company found that 95% 
of the process could be standardized globally with only very small regional and local variations. And that's something I think you're going to start seeing more and more in this global world as institutions and organizations adapt to the cloud. It's really going to really enable organizations to pull from that global talent pool as opposed to just regional or within even the continent, which is kind of crazy to say in this day and age. <laughs> Very much so. Okay, so I'm let's say I'm going to implement shared services tomorrow. You talked a little bit about talent leadership, but what are those first steps that I have to take? Sure. So the benefits of shared services are so widely recognized anymore that I think most executives are probably no longer asking whether their companies should forge a path to shared services. It's more of how do we proceed. Um, so before implementing, organizations should really take a step to develop a unique business case outlining the opportunity. The business case focuses on the unique needs of the customer and really the organization at large. Uh, it's important to define why shared services are a good fit for your organization, not just your sector or your industry, but really think about how it will impact your day-to-day -day business, uh, which elements your model will, will incorporate and what results you expect to achieve. Um, an organization can, can establish a baseline for shared services really without uh, impacting or, or causing much disruption to day-to-day -day activities. So with the business case in hand, senior management should work with design options custom tailored to the organization's specific strategy and operational context. And, you know, and that point is really when we, we recommend uh, company to take a pause with information in hand. They're empowered to make the decision and think about whether or not you want to make a go or no-go decision to share services with, with all data available. Fantastic. So I have one last question for you. And this is like looking into the future. You know, what is that future of shared services? And what should companies and IT be preparing for? You know, it's really tough because shared services are still evolving concept. The first generation of shared services set the scene. You, know, you have organizational flexibility, you have standardized processes, core competencies, leveraging of IT systems available to you, uh, and specialization of skills, all of which are, are aimed at cutting costs and, and improving service levels across your organization. You know, what's interesting about this space is that unlike disruptive innovation that shakes up previously successful models, the shared service model continues to build upon innovation with its range of offerings and the way in which they're executed. So shared service centers are increasingly adding to their portfolio on a constant basis of, uh, in existing processes as well as adding new functions and processes that can really deliver value to your constituents within your company. So as it relates to technology though, uh, I would say many of our clients in the higher education space are thinking about when, not if, they will make the jump to the cloud. Operation strategy and cloud, even big data strategy are not, they're not mutually exclusive. In fact, I would say that they're, they're more linked by their own impact on one another. Um, so as these systems are incorporated in daily work, I, I would almost say that analytics should be leveraged uh, and used to challenge rudimentary or lethargic processes and convert them into opportunities that may have been previously unseen by your organization. Um, over the next three to five years, I would say, I, I, we would expect that more and more institutions would make the jump to the cloud and start using big data as, as a catalyst for reimagining their current service delivery models. 
you know, it, it, we've had we've talked about a lot of issues, but I, it can't be overstated that these are exciting times for shared services. We have technology and operations, uh, and they're both closely linked. And one cannot succeed really in the isolation of the other. Uh, while shared service centers put together a plan to handle the, the what aspect of transformation, I would say it's equally important to strategize the how aspects in order to ensure there's excellence in the execution of the shared services platform. Fantastic. Well, there's lots of stuff for definitely for me to go away to think about, and I'm sure everyone who's been listening, same thing. So I'd like to thank you, Andrew Style from the Huron Consulting Group for coming to speak to us today. Don't forget to add Simplicity 2.0 to your favorite RSS feed or iTunes. Thanks to Laserfish for sponsoring today's episode. Learn more about Laserfish at laserfish.com backslash simplicity or follow on Twitter at Laserfish. Until next time, this is Heather Taylor for Simplicity 2.0.